0: Hi everyone, it's Jen Duval, And on this episode of The Leadership Habit, I was fortunate to interview Yvonne Portilla. Yvonne is a senior IT architect and data scientist with the Cloud and Cognitive Software Group at IBM. He's also a prolific author and speaker, and he's recognized for his innovative work in data science, robotics, and artificial intelligence. Yvonne is also a member of the IBM Academy of Technology. Now what you're going to hear today is actually a webinar that we did recently with Yvonne, where he talks about the skills that every organization will need to prepare to embrace AI or artificial intelligence. Enjoy. Good morning, good morning. We are going to get started in a few minutes talking all about artificial intelligence and closing the skills gap. What we can do as an organization, as a leader, to make sure that we are as prepared as possible for the new requirement of skills that we will have of our employees in the future. I am so excited to have Yvonne Portilla with us today. He is going to share valuable insight on what we can do. I know that you're going to appreciate this conversation. Plus, you won't hear me talk the whole time, which is probably great for some of you that have attended ours. So I'm going to go ahead. It is 9 a.m. Denver time, which means that it is time to go. Um, We are starting out with talking about artificial intelligence. And one of the important things to think about as we do this as more and more artificial intelligence is entering the world more and more emotional intelligence must enter into leadership. AI, artificial intelligence, or AI as it's commonly known, is something that we can't ignore. And it's something that we need to be very attentive to as leaders to know how are we actually scaling our workforce to prepare for these changes that artificial intelligence will bring. It's not something that's just resigned to a room where there's a data scientist reading all of your data. It's actually something that we all need to be a part of. So that's what we're going to be talking about today with Yvonne. For those that don't know me, I'll just be your host today. My name is Jen DeWall, and I am a leadership development strategist and facilitator for Crescom. You can always email, if you, email me if you have questions or connect with me on LinkedIn, but I'm so excited to be bringing you Yvonne. For those that are unfamiliar with Crescom, just a very brief overview. We're a global leadership development organization that focuses on developing managers into leaders. And today's topic is one of the things that's going to be very important for you as a leader. You need to understand soft skills. So, without further ado, let me go ahead and introduce. The man that you'll be hearing from, Yvonne Portia, who is a data scientist with IBM Edge Consulting. He's an author, a speaker, and he's recognized for his innovative work in machine learning, artificial intelligence, and robotics. Yvonne is also a member of the IBM Academy of Technology. And today, Yvonne is going to be talking about how you can upscale or prepare your workforce with the skills that they need to lead in the age of AI. Yvonne, I'm going to go ahead and stop sharing my screen so then you can go ahead and start, but oh my gosh, because we, you just have so much to share. So go ahead and start your, your share here, Yvonne. And again, you can throw in your chat where you're from. I know Yvonne would love to see where you're from as well, but Yvonne, the floor is yours.
1: Thank you so much, Jen. Can you hear me okay?
0: I'm going to go ahead and take my camera off too, just so they can focus on you.
1: Okay, perfect. And Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm going to share on the chat, if you look looking in your Q&A bubble there, I'm going to share a link to the report that we're going to be using for this talk. So I'm going to share my screen now. And please let me know, Jen, if you can see. Uh, um, the
0: oh, here. There we go. Perfect.
1: Perfect. Excellent. So... Before I started, uh, IBM legal team asked me to say this. This is my views, my opinions, not of my employer. So this is a typical disclaimer that we've seen in many, many talks. So with that, let's talk about the topic today. We're going to be talking about how to close that skills gap on the enterprise using artificial intelligence. We're going to share some strategies and some results from now multi-year study. Uh, again, the link is there and it's also on the chat. And here's my contact information. So I'd be, I would love to hear from you. I'm currently a data scientist on the IBM Edge Computing Team. I'm in charge of pushing AI to the edge. So with that, let's get, let's get started. So Jenny, you can hear me okay, right? And everything looks good?
0: Everything looks great.
1: And you're recording this, correct?
0: Yes, we are. Perfect.
1: So. Our agenda for today will be very simple. We're going to focus on four areas. We're going to talk about skills, the importance of skills and talent in the organization. We're going to see some of the challenges that currently people are going through with the skills acquisition and the skills lifetime. And then, most importantly, the impact of intelligent automation. How is artificial intelligence impacting the skills shortage in your organization? And then we're going to close with some strategies, some recommendations from the authors of the studies to close that skill gap using AI. So very simple agenda. So with that, let's get started. So what would you say is the main differentiation between a $2 trillion company and your average startup? It's not the multi-billion circle building or the release of a brand new gadget every year, is the skills that organizations have to innovate and thrive in the marketplace. And these skills are fueling the global economy. They're creating new opportunities. When they go into a particular location, they are bringing talent, high talent to that location. They're, they're paying taxes. They're creating better infrastructure. Currently, it's interesting to see with this global pandemic the migration to other zones so people can work remotely from home. But again, skills are fueling the global economy. And when we talk to these uh, technology leaders, CEOs from thousands of companies and dozens of industries and in multiple regions and countries, we're noting uh, several important key factors here. That not only technical skills are important, now we're seeing people skills or soft skills are gaining importance in these organizations. Particularly, uh, this outperformance in these organizations, they place skills as the foundation to grow, to innovate, to go into new markets areas. And they put a lot of emphasis on investing in acquiring new skills in their organizations. However, This uh, skill shortage has been uh, remediated with hiring and training, but that's not enough. Unfortunately, they cannot get all the skills they need. So we are coming out with new ways to uh, gain those, particularly the soft skills, the behavioral skills. And organizations that are doing two things. One thing is they are tapping into the near-career employees, usually people in the 30s, 40s, that have been with the company 10, 20 years, and they're going to retrain these mid-career workers to gain the behavioral skills, the soft skills, to innovate. However, we also come up with a program at IBM, and our former CEO, Gene Rometti, called it the New Color Jobs. And these are jobs that will require more than a high school, but not necessarily a college degree. There are certain skills like uh, uh, web design or cybersecurity that a good community college or some additional experience past uh, high school will give you those skills. So, we created a program that we call PTECH. And this is uh, Pathways to Technology in Early College and High School. And with this program, we uh, train. Uh, Students entering high school in the US ninth grade, and six years after ninth grade, which means high school plus two additional years in a community college, they get an associate degree and they can get hired by companies like ours. And we're currently in 24 countries, and we are working with 20, 220 uh, school partners and additional 200 college partners to educate these kids. On the PTEC program. And that's something that I'm personally involved. I am a volunteer and a mentor here in Colorado, and I teach a weekly class on data and AI to these kids. And it's interesting to see a brand new perspective of a high school uh, student be able to grasp the complexity of these topics. In addition, and I strongly recommend you to check out that website, ptech.org in addition to training these uh, students we also open up a new infrastructure of learning and this is free digital content in areas that we believe are important in the marketplace right now so you can go ahead and enroll uh, here's the url and take classes in cybersecurity and data science and professional skills even in artificial intelligence and you will earn certificates we call it IBM batches that tell us that you have taken the class and have completed successfully the requirements. So both of those strategies are being used to help close that skill gap. Uh, Here's an example. Uh, This summer, we had a hackathon as part of the COVID-19 effort in our company. And my students and I came up with the idea of connecting students with senior citizens in uh, adult care centers through correspondence. So they will write letters to the senior uh, citizens, but we're able to match them using a personality API in the IBM data and AI portfolio. So we analyzed the way they write, and we're able to match compatible personalities through this tool. And that was very interesting to see the students come up with the idea, develop the, the algorithm, and apply it to be able to connect several schools in the area with adult centers. So that was a very impressive effort. Now let's talk about what are the executives uh, considering are the soft skills, the behavioral skills that are important to them. So on this survey from 2016 to 2018, we noticed a very interesting trend. If you see in blue, those are the soft skills or behavioral skills. And notice that the most important one that and 2018 was this agility, this willingness to be flexible, to adapt to change. And you can see down nowadays with the pandemic how can you remote disconnect it from your team, remote uh, working remote? Also, we they considered time management, uh, not need to be supervised, be able to prioritize your work, ability to work with multi, uh, in a multi-diversity environment. And that's very important because right now our nation, we're seeing all these issues happening with race. So be able to work with people in different minorities, different cultural backgrounds is very important for them. And also the ability to speak up. I I try to, you know, in my class, encourage my students to present, to develop those communication skills, both oral and written. So notice the the shift in what executives consider important for those skills from 2016 to 2018. a lot of emphasis on those self-skills. Now, when they look at what is the criteria for successful innovation, again, self-skills make the top of the, on the list. Working as a team, be able to be flexible, have a strong leadership. And none of this can be taught in a formal class. This is something that you gain with experience. And that's why it's so important to us to take these very young uh, students and be able to share with them what is a real working environment look like. Now let's talk about the challenges of those skills. This is the second area that I wanted to share from this study. What do you think are today's uh, challenges with your skills? So the employers, uh, share these statistics, and these all are well-documented on the white paper. Interested here is that in typical organizations, about half of employers say they, they cannot find the skills they need. And if you go to larger organizations, they go almost two-thirds, they cannot find the skills they need to be successful in the marketplace. And the reason they say it is because the candidates don't have the experience to percent or they have to retrain, reskill in order to be competitive, to be relevant in the marketplace. Uh, Some of the other metrics in this slide, we believe, or they believe by 2030, it will be a shortage of about 85 million people with those skills. So one of the reasons that we have these challenges with skills is something, uh, it's called the half-life of a skill. And what this means is how long would it take for your skill to become obsolete, half of your, of your skills to be obsolete. And this is uh, uh, been noticed that currently it's about five years. So think about that. You, you went to school, you went to a community college, you went to a training facility, in about five years, your skills are being half relevant. So that's a huge impact compared to a few years ago when your half-life skills will be something more like a decade or 15 years. So that's a huge impact in being uh, relevant at at the workplace. Now, not only that, the half-life of the skill is is in jeopardy, also the time to gain that skill. I remember a few years ago, if I needed to gain a new skill, I would go to class for four or five days, and I'll be proficient on that particular skill. Nowadays, if I want to learn a new skill, it will take you more like 40 days, like two months or almost. And this is also because uh, the depth of the skill, uh, the skills have become very specialized. Like if I wanted to get a data science skill, I need to learn math, I need to learn program, I need to learn communication and so on. And also because all the skills that are needed today are also soft skills, things that you need to grow in an environment that you can uh, learn as traditional classroom uh, education or virtual education. So this is the impact of that. And in fact, 41% of organizations, uh, they say that they, they have only the skills that they need to go to be successful in the, in the marketplace. So almost half of the organizations have the skills that they need to be successful, and that's a huge gap on 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 the skills that they need right now the third topic and this is something very close to what I do every day at work is what is called intelligent automation that can be both a good thing and a negative thing an opportunity and a challenge and I'm showing here a picture of one of my robots that I work with uh, It's called pepper and pepper is a humanoid robot created by a uh, Japanese company, South Bank Robotics, that we have taken to different environments like a hotel concierge or banks or retail. And let me tell you a little bit about intelligent automation. So the impact of intelligent automation is that it's going to uh, improve the processes, business processes, and provide uh, consumers, uh, users with personalized experiences. As well as enhancing decision making. Uh, unfortunately, there is also an impact on that intelligence automation. And this is not new. We have had automation for thousands of years. We have, this is what is called the Four Industrial Revolution. We also have like uh, the steam, electricity, we, we, agriculture. We have a lot of automation in our history. But the reason that intelligent automation is more critical. Is because it's using advances in artificial intelligence where machines can learn from data and they don't have to be explicitly programmed to produce those predictions or recommendations. It is uh, having a positive impact. And here are some of the areas that we have been working in my company. I particularly been involved in like uh, finance fraud detection, for example, Uh, A few years ago, I worked with a large uh, uh, car, car, credit card bank, and we were dealing with about 60,000 transactions per minute. Imagine being able to approve or disapprove a transaction. And if you get a lot of false positives, the merchant is losing money, the credit card company is losing money, and most importantly, you have a frustrated consumer. I also work with uh, manufacturing. On this edge computing, we are putting AI closer to where the data is captured. So we're detecting, for instance, in a manufacturing line where there's a defective part. We can detect it right there before it goes first into a car and you get a bad experience as a consumer. So we're pushing AI to the edge. We're also working with transportation right now, particularly with the uh, low uh, demand in air travel. Will help in several airlines predict when travel is going to recover and be able to be prepared for that. So, these are some of the areas that we, we're working with artificial intelligence. This is what the executives share with us that is important the positive impacts of intelligence automation. Uh, one of the areas I want to highlight here, one of the metrics, is the increase in insights for data. So every day we produce about 2.5 quintillion bytes of data. This is about 2.5 exabytes of data. And most of this data, we call it dark data. About 80% of that data is not being processed right there. It's, 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 it's locked in silos. It's unstructured data. So how do you count a thumbs up? Or how do you count uh, videos? How do you analyze all that data? And I also want to point out that it's improving worker productivity. So in, in IBM, we say it's not uh, artificial intelligence. We switch the acronym. We say it is intelligence augmented. We are freeing up the humans to do higher level thinking. Apply what the humans are good at, such as creativity and innovation. So some of the areas. And they're also reporting uh, organization capabilities, expansion, and improved productivity. But there is a significant impact to the workforce. About two-thirds of people will require, uh, will, will require new roles in reskilling that that do not exist today. For instance, uh, have you ever heard of a term, a robotic psychology? Be able to understand why your, your smart speaker is recommending you something. Has something of that nature, and there is uh, advancements in robotics and automations that will require new skills in the next five years. So let me give you some specific metrics of what those mean. So when we did the study, and the executives shared that in the twelve largest economies, about three and a half percent of jobs will be displaced or redeployed. And what that means is about 60 million jobs will be uh, replaced by intelligence automation. So that's a huge impact on those people losing their jobs. And if we look broader, we believe that about 120 million people in the 12 largest economies will need to have to be reskilled or retrained in the next three years with intelligence automation. And the reason for that, if you think about hundreds of millions about the economies of the labor force from Brazil and Canada combined. And all of that, because intelligence automation is making it easier to personalize uh, processes, improve uh, productivity, and give you enhanced decision capabilities. So there's a real potential, real uh, challenge here with intelligence automation. Uh, one of my favorite uh, books, AI uh, Super Wars by K. Lee, talks about this uh, uh, representation of what type of jobs are in danger. And I have also a link there, well, robotstakemyjob.com, where he uh, shows you a quadrant of uh, how social or asocial your job is compared to the, the dexterity of that job in the structure structured environment. So he has these safe zones, so jobs that have a higher social interaction like your hairstylist or your physical therapist or your counselor, that they live in a very unstructured environment that they will be safe from this intelligence automation. And then he has a danger zone where there's a lot of repetition. There's a very little uh, contact, interactive contact with people like a uh, dishwasher or a truck driver that are have the highest risk of being displaced by intelligence automation. And they have these uh, two other zones, the human veneer, where even though you have a very uh, structured, repeatable job, you have a lot of social interaction, makes you a way to still be safe. And there is an area that he called slow creep, where... Even though you have a very little contact, you have a high structure unstructured environment, which eventually will become the danger zone. <clears throat> now, let's look at what executives are expecting of this uh, impact on events unprepared uh, for advances in intelligent automation. So, in this chart, I'm showing two colors, is what they believe is important for the impact of intelligent automation. And how nations are preparing for that. So that's the confidence they, they have. That, for instance, developing the science, technology, engineering, and math skills. They believe it's forty percent, but only fifty-four percent of the of the countries are preparing for that area. And we have other like uh, promoting creativity or pr- providing reskilling. So it's not just responsibility of the employer. Also, the nations and organizations need to. Uh, be prepared for these skills
0: shortage. Hi, everyone. It's Shen and I just wanted to drop in with a quick note. Do your managers know how to build an effective team? Can they create an environment where teamwork is encouraged while setting appropriate benchmarks and delivering projects on time? Are they able to align expectations so their team works effectively toward common goals? You hired the right team. Now let us help you develop them. Crestcom offers a robust leadership development program that focuses on results. Each month, participants learn and apply key leadership skills and tools that will unite teams and drive organizational growth. We are serious about accountability. After each class, we help participants apply those leadership skills in group coaching sessions. Are you ready to take your leadership development to the next level? Contact us at Crestcom.com so we can help you develop your leaders. And now, Back to our podcast.
1: Let's talk about the main area of my presentation. How do we close that gap, skills gap, using artificial intelligence and some of the recommendations from this study? Again, <clears throat> we we frame it as a national, regional uh, challenge, helping with the industry or the enterprise, but the individual is also responsible. You are responsible. For this um, upskilling or reskilling of your of your skills, <clears throat> so they organizations know that they need to act. That there's going to be a skills shortage, and unfortunately, only half uh, half of organizations are doing nothing to retrain you. Very few are retraining one or two skills. And That's a huge gap. So if the organization is not helping you, then it's pushed to the individual or the regional or nation to close that skill gap, which is very worrisome. So the studies propose three areas that we can use artificial intelligence to close that gap, having skills at the center of this strategy, and we divide it up into three areas. We call the first one, make it personal. The second one, turn up the transparency of those skills and then reach out outside of your your organization. So let me uh, go into every single one of these areas with an example of how we can close the skill gap using artificial intelligence. Let's start with the make it personal. So I'm gonna start with my own company in IBM we open it up the transparency and personalization of your skill, risk skill, and training. And personalization is important to us because imagine when you go to a movie site and you want to see a, a particular movie or a movie for a particular genre, you want the tools to be able to predict what you're going to watch or what you're going to buy on a uh, commercial website. <clears throat> so personalization also works with the companies. They want to personalize what skills are needed in the marketplace, what, what gaps do they have. So when I log in into this uh, website, internal website, it's called Mind Learning, <clears throat> my employer is providing me a roadmap. It's telling me, based on your experience and based on the market needs, these are the skills that you need that will make you successful and will make the company successful. So today, 8 out of 10 employees have the skills that they need to be successful compared to 3 out of 10 less than 5 years ago. So that's transparency and personalization strategy. Uh, the second one is uh, being transparent. So we have an example here of a larger telecommunication company in the U.S., AT&T, in 2015, uh, they opened it up to all the em- employees and say, this is what we need to be successful in the marketplace. And look at what jobs are in high demand compared to jobs that we believe are going to become obsolete in the next few years. And they crafted a curriculum based on that strategy. They say, for you to be successful, successful in our company and Make our company successful in the marketplace. These are the jobs that we would like you to take. These are the skills that we would like you to learn. So they open up. They work with a massive online companies like Udacity and a local university, and they created this curriculum to, to for the employees. And that was the transparency. Be open on what they need and what they want you to learn based on market needs. And the third one is a very interesting one because every company thinks that they can do this on their own. So we have here a company called CEMEX, Cementos Mexicanos, it's a global cement and heavy construction company. They partner with us and we put together uh, in a, a university put, put together a program for to do digital transformation and they established a digital hub in Monterrey in Mexico to grow these skills with industry partners. And they, they use the universities, we use the MMOC, the multi-online uh, learning, like uh, Coursera and Udacity, and they create this curriculum. So not single company is able to work alone. They need to expand both internal and external to reach and close this skill gap. So to recap, <clears throat> to close that skill gap, make it personal. Customize the learning to your individual needs and your company. Open up, be transparent, uh, create some uh, recognition, tell the, your employees what the market needs are, and then look inside and out of your company to uh, find those skills. So with that, this is the link to the study, and this is the authors. Thank you very much to these <coughs> authors to create this wonderful study. And let's open it up for questions and answers. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's hear Q&A. So, so much of that white paper, for those that maybe joined late, what Yvonne just presented was based on findings that IBM found from a multi-year global survey. And there's a lot of data in there. I would definitely recommend checking it out and just seeing what you can learn because it is pretty glaring to know that. Half of executives surveyed feel like their organizations are not pursuing anything to close the skills gap. So we need to be mindful that what we are doing or what we're not doing today could essentially pull us back. But go ahead. If you have questions for Yvonne, I'm, I'm going to start with a few. But if you have questions for Yvonne, his role in AI, how he, ha- um, how he supports IBM, anything regarding what we talked about with the white paper, go ahead and throw that in the chat. Um, Yvonne, if you want to stop sharing your screen, you can absolutely do that. And but just know that Yvonne, Yvonne's contact information is there. It's YvonneP P at US.ibm.com. And if you want to find him on Twitter, it's iPortia. Or you can connect on LinkedIn at Yvonne Portia. So, because now we see, I think Yvonne, we can see just your background, not really that slide screen now. So things to consider is that by 2030, from this white paper, by 2030. The global talent shortage could reach more than 85 million people. So the issue is not necessarily a shortage of workers, but it's a shortage of workers with the right skill. Yvonne, what are some of the, to be specific, like what are some of the skills that you see as essential for leaders today?
1: Um, One area that I believe is critical is this agility. Uh, be able to adapt to change, and particularly uh, what is called agile learning. So we want to create a culture of lifelong learning. <clears throat> Everything that you learn in school and college will be obsolete. We saw, we saw there five, 10 years. So you need to keep yourself current. Uh, what are the upcoming trends that I'm going to be good at or I find interesting? How can I improve my skills in those areas? How can I communicate well with others? So not only the technical skills, but also the soft skills. How can uh, I work with uh, people from other cultures? How can I adapt to change? How can I be uh, flexible and react to this, for instance, this pandemic? How can I work from home successfully, be my own boss, be successful in that area?
0: Yeah, connecting with others. You know, I think when we think, or when I think, before I kind of got into understanding this subject, is that artificial intelligence lends itself to more data or analytical skills, whereas it really does lend itself to understanding how are you communicating? Artificial intelligence is going to give you data, but you're going to share that data. You're likely also going to transcend cultural borders. So you need to understand how to work with different people. You need to, you know, from the analytical perspective, yes, you need to understand how to look at the data, but you also need to understand how to make the right decisions with that data, which lends it or which goes into one interesting thing that um, came from that white paper that I saw is that data has been referred to as the new natural resource with an article from The Economist going as far as just saying it's going to replace oil as the world's most valuable resource. How do you explain that, Yvonne? That is a bold claim <laughs> if I've ever heard one, that it's the new natural resource.
1: Yes. So none of these uh, AI technologies works without data. So it all based on the, the data that you use to train uh, and to train these machine learning models. So no data, no intelligence, no predictions, no decision-making. So being able to control that data is so critical that a lot of companies are giving you services for that data. For instance, they give you email for free or they give you uh, social media for free so you can communicate with your peers, and your family and friends. But because the data that you generate is so important to them to predict trends, to find uh, needs in the marketplace, that that data is the differentiator. And this is an important point, because when you sign up for a service via social media, movie, anything, remember that uh, terms and conditions document, you are giving away your data to this company and you are deciding what companies will be successful in the marketplace so if you give it to company a company b will not get your data and it will be you know deprecating will not be able to compete with a larger company so you are deciding each day when you use those social media recommendations uh, even clicks on our website you are deciding what companies will succeed in the marketplace by giving a even in your, your data. And the second thing is that data has a lot of implicit bias. And, and I believe that can be a topic for a follow-up conversation then. When we look at what is causing all these uh, uh, predictions to go towards prejudice or go to racial profiling or go to discrimination, and it all goes back to the data that was used to train those models. So we need to be very transparent on the data that we use, the machine learning algorithms that we use to train the the data in order to justify a decision. So that's important. And and the third thing I want to emphasize is that as we saw with the economies of scale, uh, with the data, you will have less and less competition. So you will have one social media, one email company, one search engine because they have a monopoly on the data. So that's a good point to consider.
0: I think even the awareness that data has become this form of currency. Every company wants it because they can use it to identify and predict your behaviors that can help them understand how to offer a service, Change something else that they're doing, but understanding that they're always har- harvesting that data and it may be used. So we do need to be pay attention to how we're using it. Um, but I also love that you brought up that there's bias because I think we may put bias into our artificial intelligence and be unaware. And um, I want to talk about that. And then I want to go to a question that we got. But how do you, or actually, I'm going to jump into the question because I think that this will be helpful. So we got a question that came in which asked, what should small and medium businesses in the u s focus on to make it personal or radical transparency and reach out other than working like with maybe our organization like what can small and be like medium businesses in the u s focus on to make it more personal with their organizations
1: Yes and I believe um, that this has to do with the three areas that we presented on the slides to make it personal yep. be transparent and reach out so this study came from serving a lot of organizations, some small, some large, but um, to make it personal, uh, don't assume that every role in your small organization has the same learning needs. You need to tailor that learning based on people's skills, uh, regions, uh, geographical location, also opportunities that you will see in in the marketplace. So when we helped this large uh, uh, chemical company uh, to redesign their learning uh, materials, learning roadmaps, we went through all these different inputs and we use uh, AI to gather uh, personalization. We use content filtering, collaborative filtering, and, and we're able to use the, the data that they have in house with also other co- similar companies. And we're able to combine that data to have a more personalized experience. Now, being transparent in a small and medium, I think it's easier than in large companies. There are less of a business politics. The CEO can sometimes be seen uh, uh, shipping the you know and shipping or it can be. Uh, helping uh, in the kitchen or whatever, so it's more reachable. There are less um, barriers to talk to your leadership team, and these leaders need to be transparent. They say, "Look, our industry is in crisis. For instance, right now in the pandemic, but we think we will, we can pivot to these other areas. We can be, we need to be transparent. If we pivot to these other areas, how can your skills be retrained?" To help us be successful in that area. And then reaching inside and out, uh, there's tons of, of uh, like open source organizations, uh, terms of commerce, local meetups that you can tap to gain those skills in that direction that you're lacking as a small and medium business area.
0: Where do you start if you're thinking about not only upscaling your workforce, but maybe even just incorporating artificial intelligence into your organization. What are some places that, or, that you see organizations starting to embrace AI?
1: Uh, I, will, I will say that the star is uh, like a set of baseline. Where Where do you think you are today? So send surveys in your organization and gather that data and compare those results to some of the areas that we mentioned in the study, like um, what are your soft skills? What what do you think is critical for your organization? What are some of the technologies that will impact your your business? And then reach out. Reach out to these local organizations, these meetups, these local learning uh, colleges and high school, like this B-Tech program. Contact the leaders and say, hey, I have this baseline. I want to be here. How can I close that gap?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Get out there, survey, figure out where you could be missing. So I want yes. to go back to that question about bias, yes. because one example, I talked to another thought leader within the AI space and her name is Sarah Alt. And she had talked about an example of what inspired her to get into AI, which was noticing that the organization that she worked for leveraged an applicant tracking system tool. So that's all about our hiring. And when she, so the story that she said is this, she was looking to fill a position HR had given her a stack of resumes. She looked through them and decided they weren't necessarily the good fit. And so she went back to HR and asked if she could get or repost that job. And then within the hour, HR came back with a stack of resumes and she said, where did these come from? And HR had responded, well, they came from the ones that were automatically rejected from our applicant tracking system. And when she asked the question, well, how, like, you, what did you use to determine to kick these out? They didn't know. And I feel like that's where we could have bias or just that our own, I guess, lack of understanding of how AI works can really hurt us or just push us further away. Can you talk about how that bias can show up, how they can minimize that bias?
1: Yes. And before I answer that particular question, let me give you a little bit of context. Okay. so. On artificial intelligence, which is intelligence demonstrated by machines, there's a field called machine learning. And machine learning, like I mentioned, is uh, using data to be able to train those statistical models and be able to come up with a recommendation, either classification or uh, 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 a number, a prediction. So within machine learning, there's another subfield. So think this as babusha, Russian dolls, AI, machine learning, and then deep learning. And deep learning is the one that is old and, and favored nowadays. It has achieved significant results in certain areas, such as visual recognition and speech detection. And, and it's kind of modeled after how the brain works you have this input layer and this output layer, and in between you have this series of hidden layers. That's the name deep learning. Unfortunately, with deep learning, most of the learning is a black box. So you have inputs, these are the features, the characteristics that you want to train your model. And this is the prediction, either a classification, uh, true or false, or span or no span, or a prediction. Uh, What is the price of my house, or do I need to hire this person, or or whatever? So, with deep learning, we're suffering of bias because most of the algorithm is a black box and it's not being exposed to the users. So, not only on hiring, also in the legal system, certain algorithms are recommending jail time for people or certain races, or even in schools, they are denying school applicants to enroll a particular school based on their race or their socioeconomical capabilities. Or even in, uh, in my job, I have to use a similar tool to determine uh, pay raises and, and job evaluations. So if we don't understand the algorithms, then we are very uh, liable to bias. So how do we avoid, avoid bias there? So we need to be very transparent on what data is being used, what algorithms are used to train those models, and what are the expected results. But the the data that is being used to train these models can have some implicit bias. And I can give you a quick example. For instance, yeah. if, if, in my class, I say, okay, everyone, uh, everyone dr- draws a shoe. So everyone in the presentation here draw a shoe. About eighty to ninety percent of the people will drew will draw a male shoe, like a business shoe, and very few people will draw like a tennis shoe or a high-heeled shoe, that's already biased in the input set, implicit bias, and you didn't think about it, but it's already present in your data. So if you use that data and I, and I use that model to show a, like a sandal, it will give me a wrong answer because the data that was used to train the model is already biased. And then you have other types of bias. So one of the efforts that we have at IBM is to uh, open up all these technologies and we make a couple of open source. So we have uh, uh, several resources that I will share with you later and you can share with the attendees where you can actually see <clears throat> what are the variables that are causing my model to reject or approve that loan. Or what are the, the impact of real data has on the accuracy of the model three months from now? Because when I train my model, I have this data, but when I put it into production, I didn't account for the pandemic, for instance. I didn't account for all these external forces. So you can retrain that model. So I will share those resources with you.
0: That is so interesting. You know, that, that's a very, I think, easy example to understand that if the programmer is thinking of... A male business shoe, if you will, that it will direct because it's not accounting for the different shoes. And that's, I feel like a very easy way to understand that we might see things differently. And based on how we see things, if we're the ones that the originator, you know, based on how we see it, we're not incorporating diversity of thought or making sure that other people are in that conversation. That's when bad decisions can happen. Or, you know, even talking about the bias, knowing that. There can be bias built into these algorithms that can make consequences worse for someone else, not offer the same opportunities to the next person and These are really serious things, and leaders need to understand and I think this is where, going back to that initial quote, emotional intelligence is so important to artificial intelligence you you need to be able to think about it from a broader perspective. I remember in the white paper they talked about something called a q, which was what what does AQ mean again? And I do have another question that I'm going to get too to from the chat.
1: It's the ability to adapt to change, that adaptability quotient. So you have EQ and IQ. Now we think uh, another one important quotient important is how well you re- react to change, the adaptability.
0: Yeah, when we're thinking about hiring people or we're thinking about who can be who has the right skill set, one of the yeah. foundational things is are they going to be able to handle change? Maybe yes. it's looking at their own organization right now and saying how well did everyone handle this dramatic shift into a remote space or adjustment to our strategic initiatives? So, question um what, what changes happen to the, you know, the training and coaching industry due to AI, like AI, robotics, and machine learning? Because I know that those are typically ones where you might see them, and sorry, Sudeep, if I'm getting this wrong, but they are more soft skill driven. They're typically live. How do you see AI impacting that space? How do you see, what changes do you think will happen in that industry of coaching and training as a result of AI, robotics, and machine learning?
1: Yes, that's a very good question. Uh, one area that uh, we have seen in professional training is how we can better target learning to a particular individual needs. So, like I was saying, not, not all trainings fits all. Now we know who's the smart person in the class, who's the person that needs additional time to complete their exercise, who's the person, I call it tourist students, that just come to the class to mingle with other students or to be away from the office. So we now have more visibility because we can now track individual learning paths. So that's one impact that we've seen. And and the other one is uh, what I call the unknowns, unknowns, things that I don't know, I don't know. AI will expose those areas that will say, this is an area that you don't know, you don't know but it will be a good area based on your experience or the market needs to go into. So those are two places that I see impact.
0: How do you see it? I want to take that one step further because in talking about the new collar. So there's clearly a disruption to the education system that is going to happen as a result of AI. I know, I think, you know, Google last week just really announced its formal certificate program where you can just go and get a certificate with their hopes that that certificate will then be the thing that you need and that employers will recognize that as, you know, a sign of completion, a sign of that skill set. And that's going to save, I know for me, that's going to if I was going back to college today and had the option to do certificates, that would save so much in student loan debt, so much in time. But yes. how do you see it really disrupting the way that the education system works?
1: It, it, is, it is huge. And like I mentioned in our TTIP program, imagine graduating from high school, going to an associate college, community college for two years and getting an associate degree that makes you employable right away without going through that four-year college. So that's a huge impact. So we're seeing these uh, pockets of specialized skills and this market uh, gap so we can have a win-win situation. Shorten the education learning to get you right into the working environment of high school. And I was going to mention another area that we've seen uh, success is these uh, interactions. Sometimes we, we have been able to create these uh, Kind of like a chatbot or a self service uh, tool that mm-hmm. will help you find the resources that you need quicker to complete the training, so that will free up the time of the educator to be able to focus on high value activities such as one on one conversations or or you know exploring opportunities for growth so that's one area
0: yeah. That's We've got a few more questions that are coming in. How do you see online or on-demand training changing with AI? I mean, I know if you're talking about even incorporating the chat box feature, how do you see it changing?
1: We, we, we will see it uh, becoming more engaging, ha- having these AI's, these tools, uh, talking with you. So It's not like, a, okay, go and look, watch this video and, and answer these five questions. This AI tools will be able to have a natural language conversation with you and poke and find the areas that are weak and and provide uh, an alternative learning path that will help you close those those gaps in your knowledge. As well as um, exposing new things, new technologies that you were not aware of that can have a potential impact in your learning.
0: Yvonne, do you think, and maybe this is my own scared curiosity, but do you think that training with AI could also do something as simple as this, where I'm in a conversation, it's recorded and observed, and then it will spit out maybe, or the data will tell us what I did well, what I didn't do well, and then give feedback to me? Do you see that as being something?
1: Yes. However, like uh, we mentioned (laughs) earlier, watch out for that bias. Yeah. So always be always have those critical thinking skills and challenge whatever feedback you get from these automatic intelligence.
0: That is that is very mind blowing to me to think that you know real that real time feedback with AI of how that can be used, how you even go about you know harvesting that data. That's just so yes. interesting to know yes. that we can have that, but also really great for maybe a system that might really understand what these skills like when done well, assuming there's not bias, that's the one that's giving you the feedback versus maybe someone that doesn't understand what that's supposed to look like, but has a brief understanding and then gives you feedback. So then you might learn bad behaviors as a result of that. It's, again, obviously the question of bias and then the question of ethics comes into play. And we're going to be talking about ethics too tomorrow in our, in tomorrow's webinar, but ethics, how, what role do you see ethics playing in artificial intelligence? Because I know we talked about soft skills and there is a question that's talking about, you know, the skills that leaders need to develop themselves and their managers, what ones are most relevant for AI? When you think about ethics and these new challenges that are going to come in, and let's just go back to that first question, what skills do we need to make sure that we have as leaders and that we're building in our team right now?
1: Yes. And, and this is another critical area on AI because we, all of these points, this conversation, we think of things in the future, right? Things that we have seen in, in movies. You know, we, we talk about the Terminator, the Skynet, all the bad AI. But in fact, today we are programming ethics into our AI algorithms. Let me give you an example. We work with a large car manufacturer in Europe, and we have to program into the self-driving car the decision to, when somebody runs in front of you, to either you know, hit the, the person or make a ride into an abyss and kill the driver or make a left and collide with an upcoming car and killing all the people in that car. We actually have to make that decision. And it was a very tough ethical decision to make. So this is happening today. Imagine when we have uh, AI-enabled soldiers or drones uh, dropping bombs in areas based on your pictures that you share in social media. So it's a, it's a very important area. A lot of companies are working on it. There's an organization called OpenAI that has funded all these efforts. And in, in it will take us another hour to go some of the implications of ethics on AI.
0: Yes. Well, and even thinking about that—that that, yes, a self-driving vehicle will have a range of choices that someone's going to have to choose. What choice is the best given the situation? And that's right. really difficult. I I don't know if I'd want to be the person making that decision. Right. <laughs> that's right. that's pretty heavy. And right. I love this. Derek commented. It's not even you know going back to that question about how AI can give you feedback. It's not even about how you answer, but. Think about your, the expression on your face, your body yes. movements and all of that. That is, you know, maybe they'll say, Jen, you use way too many hand gestures or you need to smile more because people really think that you're upset. Um, that's just so interesting. It's, you know, Yvonne, I, I know that we're coming wrapping up and you did have some resources to share. So if you want to go ahead and share your screen again and talk through some of those resources and then I'll wrap it up. Okay. or you want to talk about those resources, whatever works for you. But I know you, you've you done your diligence to help everyone further their learning by providing these resources.
1: Yes. Uh, um, I, w- I will send the link to you so we can post it on the, when we publish the video. Yes. And and I just wanted to, to share some of the books that I've been reading lately. So I'll share again here with my contact information. Do you see that? Yes. So, so, I strongly recommend this book, *Rebooting AI*. Really informative, really uh, eye-opening. It's particularly around bias in these AI superpowers, because sometimes we have our own bias and we always look at from U.S. Western Hemisphere point of view. We also have to see it from you know Eastern cultures as well. So, all of those books are highly recommended my contact information, my Twitter handle. So I would love to hear back from people. What do you think about this presentation?
0: Yeah, well, Yvonne, I know that I enjoyed it. I think I'm partially, you know, nervous. I'm excited for what AI is. It's just, there's so much that we don't know of how we're going to leverage it. And so it's a little bit, I don't, there's just, it's new to me. I think. And I'm excited. I'm excited to see how we can leverage it, how it can make us better individuals. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just wrap this up. But Yvonne, yeah, Going back to everyone, Yvonne shared his contact information. It's also on the screen. Uh, Connect with him. Ask him questions. Let him know if you want the feedback or excuse me, if you want the white paper, we will be sharing that it's also at the top of the chat uh, from this webinar, but we will be sharing that because it's a great read. I promise you it's going to stimulate a lot of thought. Yvonne, I know that you've got people thinking differently about how we even need to start making changes today to talk about artificial intelligence and how our workforce is actually prepared or has those skill sets. This is so essential. And again, going back to one of those statistics that they shared, that 50% of essentially executives aren't doing anything about this. Or if they are, it just lives in the land of hiring, of trying to hire for that right skill, instead of thinking about how we actually need to be developing our current workforce to make sure they're ready. Yvonne, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. If you liked today's episode, go ahead and find Yvonne Bortia on LinkedIn, connect with him. And if you really liked it, share it with your friends and don't forget to write us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service.